Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. ...boundaries on space and here on Earth to better understand what's happening inside our guts. Now, our gut and our microbiome are incredibly complex, and when it gets out of whack and something comes in and makes you sick, like maybe salmonella, this can cause big problems. And it gets even weirder in space when the normal rules don't apply. Plus, your microbiome is filled with hundreds of thousands of things that we barely understand. Research is just now starting to catalogue in detail. Space is really hard. Whether it be the complexities of radically different temperatures, on the heated side or the dark side of, say, a spaceship, to the speed at which things travel, where even tiny flecks of dust can create massive impact craters when they hit the side of a spaceship or a satellite. Then there's the problems of sending humans into space. Not only is it difficult with a lot of g-forces and complex things that could go wrong, there's also the problems where you leave a human in space for a long period of time. Their muscles atrophy because, well, there isn't any gravity or there's microgravity. But this is only some of the challenges that you can face in space. Because when you have a microgravity climate, a lot of things that just work normally don't work the way they would here on Earth. Things like, you know, water running down your face. Let's say you cry in space. What happens to your tears? Well, they don't flow down the side of your face like they would here on Earth. And this kind of mechanism applies to everything, whether it be growing crops or animals, even down to the molecular or cellular level. All of these processes are different. They don't exactly behave in the same way, which means if we want to help crew that go up into space, well, we need to make sure that they're safe. And we need to know how to treat them, because our medications may not work in the same way. Because the physical properties or chemical properties that might drive those processes may have changed. All of this to say that it's not easy to do things in space, which means you need to study all of those strange environments. And that's exactly what researchers from Arizona State University have been doing, They've been trying to get human cells sick, trying to create an infection of something that you may have had, salmonella, the intestinal pathogen, and they're trying to get cells, human cells, sick to see what would happen when or if a human gets sick in space with salmonella. Now, this was published in the journal and the Nature Publishing Group called NPJ Microgravity. Lead author on this paper is Jennifer Barilla, working with Shamina Saka, Nicole Hansmeiser, and a lot of other collaborators under the lab of Professor Cheryl Nickerson. And one of the big sample sets they used as part of their research was data from an old experiment done on space shuttle mission STS-131 all the way back in 2010. Now, on that mission, a subset of cultures were infected with either salmonella or remained as unaffected controls. These human cells were basically taken up into space, and then given salmonella. Some were left to as control studies that could be compared and contrasted. Now, all the data from these cells and all the samples and the analysis was then brought back, and researchers are poring over this data all the time, because sometimes these experiments done in space may not yield the exact result straight away. The historical records of these results can be used and analysed when new techniques are discovered. New measurement and analysis methods can be used to further explore this data. And that's exactly what's happened in this case. They 
uncovered global alterations in RNA and protein expression in human cells and RNA expression in the bacterial cells compared with the ground-based controlled samples. And what that means is that they saw that the RNA and proteins were changed in both the bacteria and the human cells. That's pretty strange, but it reinforces this idea from the team's research earlier that spaceflight can increase infectiousness and disease potential. And salmonella has been with us for a long time. It's been ravaging humans for ages, millennia. And in the United States alone, it can cause around 1.3 million infections, 26,000 hospitalization, and around 420 deaths a year, according to the Center of Disease Control. And that's just one country. So it's a big problem. Now, the pathogen itself enters the human body through ingestion of contaminated food or water. And it attaches itself and invades the intestinal tissue. Now, the thing is, the infection process is a dynamic dance between the host, who's trying to fight it off, and the microbe. And the rhythm, the pulse of this, is dictated by biological and physical cues present in the environment. And this means that the actual process of the salmonella getting in to the intestine and interacting with it is very complex. Because it's not just one simple mechanism, it pulses and it changes over time. And things like gravity and physics change when you're in space. Which means that as more spaceflight becomes more common, we're starting to see more crewed missions up into space, we would have this risk going further. As crews stay in space for longer, it also is much more difficult. So the failure to keep bacterial infections at bay, or know how to treat them and know how they behave differently... Is quite significant. Now, when these tissue samples were sent into space, they were part of the STL immune, part of the space tissue loss payload aboard the STS-131. Now, they had these little bioreactors, which were three-dimensional tissue culture systems that grew on these hollow fibers, which porous-like straws coated in collagen, which then the intestinal cells were attached and grown. Then they were maintained, one copy on Earth, one copy on the space shuttle, and sent up. And then they kept them oxygenated, they kept them alive, and then they were ready for infection with the salmonella. Now, once they were in space, they turned on the hardware and the salmonella cells were injected into the certain regions of these bioreactors. So that way, they were all safely sealed up and there was no risk of astronauts getting sick. Very important thing. And once they did that, they could then take detailed sequencing of these cells and the results, which would enable them to compare in detail back here on Earth and also well into the future, like today. Now, one of the important cells that they're watching is the human intestinal epithelial cells, and they're like the watchguard sentinels for immune function, especially in the intestines. Now, what they saw is that spaceflight can cause big changes to the way in which proteins are transcribed RNA inside these cells for both the ones that were infected and the ones that were uninfected. So just overall, these cells were undertaking change. And many of the transcriptions, RNA transcriptions, were changed in both the uninfected cells, the control group, and also the infected cells, just by being in... Likewise, though, the bacterial transcriptions in and of itself were also changing. And they saw an up-regulation of genes associated with pathogenesis, antibiotic resistance, and stress responses. So the bacteria was getting a boost in certain areas as well. That is a little bit concerning for trying to find a way to counteract it. And the result is that there's pretty big changes in the molecular landscape 
of the intestinal epithelium cells, just purely in response to spaceflight. Not only that, but the bacteria itself gets a bit of a boost. And that means the whole landscape of a bacterial infection of Salmonella is radically different to what it would be here on Earth, and potentially much worse. This is important because once scientists can understand and track this, it means that they'll be better placed to develop treatments that may work in microgravity. Because once you understand the mechanisms at play there, then you can build countermeasures that work with those new set of rules that you find in space. Some great research from Arizona State University published in the journal NPJ Microgravity. We don't know a lot about space, and we don't know a lot about how the human body or just biological systems react in space, but we also don't know a lot about what happens inside our own bodies, because in many ways they are as unexplored and unique and diverse as what we see in space. And that's what researchers at the Wellcome Sanger Institute and the EMBL European Bioinformatics Institute have been investigating and publishing in the journal Cell. Now, lead author on this paper was Dr. Luis Cabarillo Guerrero and collaborator Alexandra Alameda. Now, they worked together under the direction of Dr. Trevor Lawley from Welcome Sanger Institute, and they're investigating the way in which our guts are filled with huge numbers of different microbes and trying to understand all of these different biological entities that can be just found inside your guts, categorize them and understand them in detail. And the answer, what they've come up with, is pretty surprising. In fact, they've identified over 140,000 different viral species living in the human gut, more than half of which had never been seen before they conducted this study. Now, they needed a large amount of data to complete this survey. Now, 28,000 gut microbiome samples were collected from all from different parts of the world. But even that 28,000 is still a pretty small number. No matter how representative and diverse you can try and make your study, when you compare 28,000 to the population of the planet, that's still not very much. But even in this limited snapshot, large as it is, this limited snapshot of global human guts, there were still tens of thousands of new species of viruses, of bacteria, that we had never seen before. It just highlights how incredibly biodiverse the human gut is. Now, that was just viruses in terms of what we talked about there, 140,000 different viral species. But there are also bacteriophages, hundreds of thousands of those too. All other different things that are living inside your gut. Now, it's known that imbalances in the gut microbiome, this crazy ecosystem full of lots of different things, can lead to all kinds of complex diseases and conditions like IBS, allergies, you name it. And we're now getting more and more understanding of the way each human's personal microbiome can change, can be modified over time as well. So this is really the, the 
reason for this study is we now know that the human gut microbiome is incredibly important. And well, to get more details on it, you need to know what's in there. And the answer is a lot of stuff we don't know about. And that's great because it means we can now start to categorize and analyze them. And that's what they did using DNA sequencing, a method called metagenomics. They explored and cataloged all these different types of viral species found in the public samples that they got. And they actually also got some specific isolated genomes that they cultured from some samples as part of that as well. Now, okay, you might read the headline and listen to me speaking about 140,000 different viral species identified inside your gut and freak out. The thing is, not all viruses are harmful. Viruses are a form of life that, by the way, that's a debatable comment whether or not viruses are alive, but let's just say they're a form of something, an existence, um, and they're not all harmful. They're an interesting part of the bioecosystem, and they can do different things. Some of them are inert, some of them are relatively minor. Now, when you think about the viruses that get the headlines, along with pathogens like SARS-CoV-2 or you know Zika or RNA-type viruses, now, these get the big headlines, but there's a lot of others that just do a small thing and that's it. They don't do widespread change or pathogenic impacts. And they live inside human guts, and they live in a lot of people's human guts, and a lot of people have different ones living in their guts. And that means that they're just thriving in your ecosystem. Now, they have some link to your health, but otherwise, they need you to live. So understanding how they contribute to your health and the impact that they can have on it is incredibly important. Now, they found a new highly prevalent clade, what they call a group of viruses believed to have a common ancestor. Now, the important part about this is because there's so many and so many to categorize and everyone has a different microbiome, you can't necessarily find exactly the same thing everywhere, but you could find these families, things that would have a common thread between them. Like saying, finding dogs, you know, you see a dog and not every dog is the same, but they all seem to have a common ancestor. And that's what they can see inside some of these viral samples in these groups. One of them, for example, is this clade, this group called the gubophage. It was found to be the second most prevalent virus group in the human gut after the CRSphage, which was discovered all the way back in 2014. Now, these types of clades, these groups of bacteria, seem to infect similar types of human gut bacteria. And what this gubophage does, we're not entirely sure, but it is very prevalent and it is all over the place, so it may have a widespread impact. Now, the good news is these researchers have built this massive database of all these sequenced genomes of these viruses, all these sequenced of these bacteria, and they can build a big database that researchers can draw on for their own research and investigation. For example, if you want to investigate the gubophage, well, now you have something to work from as a data set. And this is an important part of the process of better understanding the human microbiome and its relationship with the things inside of you and the only way to do this is really to start by categorizing and analyzing them. And that's exactly what these researchers have done. Camilo Guerrero, Almeida, Rango Pineres, Finn, and Lawley have published in the journal Cell. And it shows that, well, we don't know a lot about the human microbiome, especially the human gut, but we can certainly find out even more. And now that we've got this list, we can start to figure out what each one of these strange new viruses and bacteria do and better understand the relationship that we have with them. It's great work published in the journal Cell. 
This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From categorizing the human gut and all the things that live inside it, plus to understanding how the rules of bacterial infection from something like salmonella change once you get into space. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.